remain standing. I want us to read this passage of scripture together that uh, we'll have up here. It's from 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, reading out loud together, beginning in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. God's love for us is selfless. God sent his son Jesus to rescue us from our sins. God's love for us is sacrificial. Jesus gave his life for us to save us from our sins. God's love for us is settled. God knows us best and he loves us most. He loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. God wants to change us to make us more like his son, our savior, Jesus. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you love us. Father God, we thank you that you first loved us and sent your son Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God, would you remind us today and this week that since you so loved us, we also are to love one another in Christ Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God has lavished his love on us in Christ Jesus. God loves us and he wants us to love one another. We love one another as we encourage one another. We love one another as we pray for one another. And we focused our attention on this particular point last week. As we learned last week, the reason Paul wrote 1 Timothy was because God wanted us as his followers to know, to understand how we are to conduct ourselves as members of God's household, how we're to act as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus in God's family. You see, we need God's wisdom to know how to act in God's family, and we need God's power to act God's way in God's family. And we shared one of the first things that God wants us to do as members of his family is to pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul shared these words. First of all, then I urge petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Prayer reminds us that there is someone greater than us, and that someone is God. God's ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts. God is in charge of us, not us. We live God's way, not our way. Prayer reminds us that we are part of something greater than us, that being the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And therefore, life is not about me. Life is about us as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And then we also were reminded that prayer reminds us that 
We have a message greater than us. The message is the message of the gospel. God has made a way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and to enter into a relationship with him by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus, God's son, our savior, he lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we are, yet he never sinned. He died a perfect death on the cross of Calvary. He was buried in the tomb, and on the third day, he rose again victorious over sin and death for you and for me. We know faith in Jesus is the only way into a relationship with God. Therefore, we know the message of the gospel is Jesus saves. So as followers of Jesus, we understand these truths. As followers of Jesus, we understand that life is messy. Relationships are messy. People are messy. We are messy. Thankfully, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Thankfully, the old life of sin and self is gone, and the new life and the righteousness of Christ Jesus has come. And so we understand God's truth in God's word as he shares it with us over and over and over again in his word. This simple reality, we have many more similarities than differences as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. The reason for this is we have the same faith, the same father, the same family, the same focus, the same future, the same foe, and the same fight as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Therefore, God wants peace to prevail in his family. God wants peace to prevail in his family. Jesus reminded us in the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. If we want others to live in peace with us, we must live in peace with others. If we want others to live at peace with us, we must live at peace with others. First point I want you to take note of, if you're taking notes and jot this down, peace is God's desire for us. Peace is God's desire for us. A simple definition of peace, peace is the inner calm, confidence, and contentment that we have because we are right with God in Christ Jesus. Peace is the inner calm, confidence, and contentment we have because we know we are right with God in Christ Jesus. We are no longer at war with God due to our sin against God. No, we have peace with God. We have harmony with God by faith in Christ Jesus. Isaiah the prophet told us, God will keep in perfect peace the mind that is steadfast, for it is trusting in him. Paul told us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit that God produces in us by the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us as we walk by the Spirit. Peter told us, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Jesus told us, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Jesus told us in John 16 and verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have overcome the world. Jesus wants us to enjoy his peace with one another. 
And Jesus wants us to extend his peace to one another. Paul told us in Romans 12 and verse 18, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we are to do all that we can do to live in peace with everyone. Our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, for sure, but all those God's placed around us. We don't compromise God's truth in order to live at peace with others. We affirm God's truth as we live in peace with others. And we also realize, according to the truth of God's word, that peace may not always be possible with others, but it never should fall on us that it's not possible to others. Because if possible, as far as it depends on us, we're to live at peace with everyone. Peace is God's desire for us. Peace is our desire for us. Therefore, the question is, how? How do we live in peace with everyone? How do we live in peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus? Well, we're going to look at the answer to this question from God's Word this morning. And so if you have your scriptures with you, and I know you do, open them to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 4, God shared his path to peace through Paul in this passage with us. This is important because we need to know God's path to peace because conflict is a regular visitor to our lives. We deal with conflict in all of our different relationships, and so we need to know how to walk down God's path to peace in our relationships. And so we see God's path to peace highlighted for us in Philippians chapter 4. Paul wrote Philippians to the believers in the church at Philippi from prison. Paul loved these believers in Philippi, and the believers in Philippi loved Paul. Interesting note, the believers in Philippi uh, supported Paul in his ministry faithfully and generously when he was with them and even when he was away from them. And so we know they loved Paul and Paul loved them. One of the themes that we'll see here even in chapter 4, one of the themes of Philippians is joy. Paul's joy in the Lord was obvious to everyone even during his stay in prison. And the reason Paul was joyful in the Lord was because he was at peace with the Lord. And so we see this joy, this rejoicing in the Lord in Paul and through Paul's instruction. Paul learned the secret of being content in all his circumstances. Paul learned the secret of rejoicing in the Lord in all his circumstances, and he could rejoice in the Lord. He was content in the Lord because he was at peace with the Lord. By God's grace through his faith in Christ Jesus. And so he understood the importance of not only living in peace with the Father, but also living in peace with one another. And so he shares God's path to peace with us here in Philippians chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 1. So then, Paul says, so then, therefore, because since all of the doctrine that he had shared in the first three chapters, he had talked about all that God had done for us in Christ Jesus. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner 
Stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So we see real quickly that Paul loved these believers in Philippi, my dearly loved brothers and sisters. He loved these believers, and not only did he love them, he longed to see them again. He was in prison, as we shared. He was hopeful. He longed to be able to get back to them, to see them again. And it's interesting to note, he called these believers, my joy and crown. My joy and crown. Every time Paul thought about the believers at Philippi, every time Paul prayed for his brothers and sisters in Christ in the church in Philippi, he was filled with joy. He was filled with joy as he reflected on his time with them, as he reflected on his relationships with them. He was just filled with joy, so much so that he called them my joy. There are some relationships I'm sure that you enjoy, some that I have with folks, maybe current relationships that are focused in on the present time, maybe the relationships that we have with folks from our, our background, our past, that we're maybe not as connected with, maybe because we've been separated by distance from them. But when we think of them, we still think of them with joy. We're just filled with joy when we think of them, when we're able to pick up and talk and communicate with them. These believers were Paul's joy. They're also his crown. The believers in Philippi were Paul's crown. He called them my joy and my crown. What Paul meant there was these believers in Philippi were the crowning proof and evidence of the effectiveness of Paul's ministry to them. You see, their faith in the Lord and their obedience in the Lord was the evidence and proof Paul's love, Paul's ministry, and Paul's teaching had not been in vain. It was the evidence. They were his crown. They were the example. They were the proof that all he had done, all he had poured his life into the believers in Philippi, he had shared God's love with them. He had shared God's truth with them. And because they had received it, and because they were living it out, Paul reflected on them, and he was filled with joy as he reflected on them. And as Paul reflected on them, he understood and realized, man, they are my crown. They are my joy. They're the evidence that my ministry was fruitful. They're the evidence that I didn't labor in vain. You see, Paul, like every pastor, every minister, every leader in God's work, longs to be fruitful in ministry longs to be fruitful. And so we see that Paul is sharing this word at the beginning of chapter 4 with these believers, my joy and my crown. And then he says, in this manner stand firm in the Lord. Paul challenged them to stand firm in the Lord, and then Paul instructed them how to stand firm in the Lord. And Paul was sharing these words, he was sharing these encouraging points with them because he was getting ready to download some truth to them. In other words, he was getting ready to get in their grill. He was getting ready to speak real clearly to them uh, in this passage. And so he challenged them to stand from the Lord, then he instructed them how to stand from the Lord, and we continue in verse 2. I urge you, Idea and Suntike, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Notice the first 
point Paul makes here is we cannot stand firm in the Lord together unless we are living in peace together. We can't stand firm in the Lord together unless we're living in peace together. As Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. What Paul is addressing here is division in the body of Christ is deadly to the body of Christ. Division in the body of Christ is deadly to the work, worship, and witness of the church. Satan wants to divide us because Satan simply wants to destroy us. Satan is the father of lies, and so all he can do is lie. And so we know within the body of Christ, when there is conflict rather than peace, Satan's got in the middle because peace is God's desire for us. Division is Satan's desire for us. And we know things are askew from the Word of God. That's all Satan can do is lie to us in the hopes that we will believe his lies rather than trusting God's truth. Satan wins when there is unresolved conflict in God's family. Satan wins when God's people refuse to humbly talk with one another. Satan wins when God's people refuse to humbly walk with one another. Satan wins when God's people refuse to look out for one another in Jesus. Satan wins when God's people refuse to love one another like Jesus. Satan wins when God's people refuse to obey God's word. Satan wins when God's people refuse to seek to live in peace with one another. Satan wins when God's people refuse to submit themselves to God. Satan wins when God's people want their way rather than God's way. Satan wins when God's people would rather please self rather than pleasing the Savior. This was happening in the church in Philippi. These two ladies were living in conflict with one another. Euodia and Sudeke, they were living in conflict with one another. The conflict was so severe that it got all the way back to Paul, who was in prison. I mean, it wasn't like he was there with them. He was away from them in prison. And word got to him. Paul did not tell us the specific reason for the conflict between these two ladies. What he did share clearly was that these two ladies had given a foothold to Satan. They had allowed sin to reside inside their lives. They were living in conflict with one another, and it damaged their relationship with God, their relationship with one another, and it was damaging the witness of the church. It was damaging the relationships within the church. These ladies were walking by the flesh, not the spirits. They were demonstrating the fruit of the flesh rather than the fruit of the spirit. They were demonstrating the fruit of the flesh such as selfish ambitions, dissensions, and factions. Rather than demonstrating the fruit of the spirit, which is love and joy and peace and faithfulness. They were out of fellowship with God. They were out of fellowship with one another. And it was creating division in the body. It was not good. Division in the body is never good. And so what Paul is sharing here is simply this. We can't live in peace with Jesus and at war with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We can't live in peace with Jesus 
and yet be at war with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. It doesn't work that way. John agreed with Paul. John shared these words. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 20 and 21, John got right to the point. John said this, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. That's straight. That's clear. Tell me what you really mean, John. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. But the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother or sister. This word hates here, he says, it, it is defined as a strong dislike for others and hostility toward others. Strong dislike of others and hostility towards others. Displaying a, a dislike for others or displaying hostility towards others, others being our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Hates is in the present tense, which signifies what John is talking about and what Paul is talking about is this dislike towards one another and this hostility towards one another is a daily habit. It's part of that relationship. It's a daily habit. You see, we can't say, God, I love you, but I don't love my family in Jesus. God, I want you, but I don't want my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength produces in us a love for God's people. Loving God leads us to love one another. These ladies were violating this teaching. They were living out of their daily lifestyle. They had given Satan a foothold. They were living in the present tense with a dislike for one another and living in hostility toward one another. This was known. This was continuing day after day after day after day. So Paul shared God's remedy for conflict in this passage. And we can rejoice that God's remedy for conflict within his family still works for us today. God's truth works for us today. His remedy works for us today. And we see it right here in this fantastic passage in Philippians chapter 4. The first point is this. If we're going to walk in peace, if we're going to live in peace with one another, we're going to follow the path to peace that God lines out for us. First point is I must agree in the Lord. You and I must agree in the Lord. Look at verse 2. We see in verse 2 he says, I urge you, idea and Sutake to agree in the Lord. Say agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. I urge to agree in the Lord. Urge, I urge means I exhort, I encourage. Urge here is in the present tense. So Paul was saying, I am urging, I am exhorting, I am encouraging you ladies. Over and over again, I am continually urging and exhorting and encouraging you ladies. We know Satan continually tries to sow discord, division, and disunity among believers. He's constantly trying to sow division, discord, and disunity among believers. Satan tries to convince us by his lies to us that others are against us, that no one understands us, that no one loves us, that no one's there for us, that they don't like us, that they're against us, that we're, we're not welcome with them or we're not welcome around them. 
because he wants to discourage and divide us. So he's constantly trying to sow discord, division, and disunity between us and God and between us and one another. Satan will even try to convince us that there is widespread division and disunity in the body of Christ when there's really not. When that, what may actually be going on is some misunderstanding. What may actually be going on is just a lack of communication. And Satan will try whatever he can do to stir up division because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In this particular example before us in Philippians chapter 4, the division was real, sincere, and authentic. It was, it was real. There was division and disunity in this regard in the church in Philippi. Euodia and Sudicate were sisters in Christ Jesus. Paul said their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Paul said these ladies had contended at my side for the gospel. What does it mean? These ladies were spiritually mature sisters in Christ Jesus. These ladies were leaders. They'd served with Paul. They ministered with Paul. The good news of the gospel what was Paul saying? He was saying this, you know better. You know better. That's exactly what he was saying to Euodia and Sudeke. Ladies, you know better. And we know better as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus than to allow ourselves to get drawn into a habit, a lifestyle of unresolved conflict with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We know better than that. And so Paul shared this first point, this first step, and God's passed the peace, and he urged them, look at what he said in verse 2, I urge you, and I urge soon to K, he urged both of them individually, collectively, to agree. Let's look at agree. Agree means to live in harmony together. Agree means to be of the same mind. Agree means literally to think the same way. So he urged them to agree, to be in harmony with one another, to be of the same mind as one another, to think the same way as one another. He said, I urge them to agree in the Lord. So the basis of their agreement and harmony is in the Lord, which is good news for us because the basis of our agreement and harmony together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus is what? In the Lord. I can share with you the secret to this entire letter of Philippians. The secret to understanding and living out the victorious Christian life is right here in verse 2, and it's concisely put together in the last three words of verse 2. In the Lord. Say that with me. In the Lord. Again, in the Lord. One more time. In the Lord. There's the key to life for you and me, in the Lord. What Paul was saying is we stand firm together in the Lord. We agree with one another in the Lord. We live in peace with one another in the Lord. We live and move and have our being together in the Lord. 
We bless one another in the Lord. We comfort one another in the Lord. We encourage one another in the Lord. We forgive one another in the Lord. We listen to one another in the Lord. We learn from one another in the Lord. We live in unity with one another in the Lord. We love one another in the Lord. We minister to one another in the Lord. We persevere in our faith together in the Lord. We sharpen one another in the Lord. We support one another in the Lord. We strengthen one another in the Lord. Paul said, you and Suntake agree in the Lord. Think the same way God thinks about your lives. Think the same way God thinks about your conflict. Be of the same mind of Jesus about your current situation. Be of the same mind of Jesus about the conflict you're in. And live in harmony with one another. Agree in the the Lord. He's encouraging and challenging them to stop thinking their way and to start thinking God's way about their lives, about what they're doing, about what they're saying, about how they're acting, about how they're living. Agree in the Lord. And this is God's encouragement for you and me today. God wants us to agree in the Lord, to think the same way he thinks about our lives, to think the same way he thinks about our relationships, to think the same way he thinks about all those he places in our congregations, to be of the same mind as Christ Jesus for you and for me. Now, agreeing in the Lord happens with uh, some encouragement from us. Let's look at three ways agreement in the Lord happens. Number one, agreement in the Lord happens as we follow Jesus by faith. Agreeing in the Lord happens as we follow Jesus by faith. We're not going to agree in the Lord if we're not following Jesus by faith. Jesus told us, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. He said, you follow after me, that's your part. And as you follow after me, I will make you into my disciples, into my witnesses, into my ambassadors, into my ministers to those around you. And then Jesus was so kind as to tell us, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, which he had just told us before, follow him and he'll make us fishers of people. Then he said, hey, if you're going to follow me, then let me tell you how this is going to work. Since I commanded you to follow me, I'm going to tell you what it looks like as you follow me. And if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow after me. So if we're going to follow Jesus by faith, it means we must deny ourselves. So agreeing in the Lord begins with following Jesus by faith, which begins as we deny ourselves. It begins as we acknowledge once again on a day-by-day basis that life is about God, not us. That Jesus is in charge of us, not us. That we're going to live his way, not our way. That we're going to seek his will, not our will. He's first. He's first in the morning. He's first around lunch. He's first in the afternoon. He's first in the evening. He's first. We're going to deny ourselves. We're going to lay down our wants and wishes for his wants and wishes. Secondly, we're going to take up our cross daily. It's interesting that that Jesus encouraged us to take up our cross. The cross reminds us that the Christian life is not easy. The cross reminds us that life is not easy. The cross reminds us that relationships aren't easy. The cross reminds us that ministering to the congregations that God has given to us, it's not easy. The cross reminds us. He says, take up your cross daily. It reminds us that we have to persevere in our faith in Christ Jesus. It reminds us that we will have suffering in this world. It reminds us that we will face trials in this world. It reminds us that we will face difficulties in this world. It reminds us that we will face opposition in this world. 
Take up our cross daily. It means we're going to face all of these challenges and all these difficulties. But listen, we persevere in our faith in Christ because as we persevere, as we take up that cross daily, as we receive what God has for us, and as we continue to follow him by faith, denying ourselves and following him by faith, we begin to learn and understand and realize that it is the sufferings, it is the trials, it is our tribulations, it is the challenges that God uses to grow us in our faith in Christ Jesus, that God uses to make us more effective witnesses for Christ Jesus, that God uses to make us more effective ministers for Christ Jesus, because it is in those trials and those difficulties and those challenging times. It's in the conflict that we are resolving God's way that we become more and more sensitive to his work in our lives and we become more and more sensitive to those around us, which makes us more effective in ministry to those God places around us. And so we begin to understand and realize, as James said, that we can consider it all joy whenever we face trials of various and many different kinds. Because the testing of our faith produces endurance and perseverance, and endurance and perseverance must finish its work. Why? So that we can be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so we understand how important this is for us. And then he says we deny ourselves, we take up our cross daily, and then we follow Jesus. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. This just simply means we just follow Jesus. Trusting he knows best, trusting his way is best. When we follow Jesus, it also means we're going to have to go first in our relationships. It means we're going to have to go first in regards to loving others. It means we're going to have to go first in regards to sharing joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. It means we're going to have to go first. These ladies were crossed arms, separated from one another, daring the other one to take the first step. You see, Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, what do we know about Jesus? Well, he stepped out of heaven and came to earth to rescue us from our sins. He, he took the first move. He always takes the initiative with us. And so we know following Jesus means we're going to need to take the initiative. We're going to need to go first to those that God places around us. We're going to need to go first in ministering to others. Agreeing in the Lord happens as we follow Jesus by faith. Agreeing in the Lord happens as we obey God's word. As we obey God's word, Jesus walked in obedience to the word of God during his earthly ministry. And we're to follow his example in every area, but in particular in the area of obedience. Jesus commissioned us in Matthew 28. We're to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything he has commanded us, which means what? We need to obey everything he's commanded us. We can't teach what we don't know. So if we're going to teach others to obey everything he's commanded us. We must obey what he has commanded us. Where God leads, I go. What God says, I do. And the same is true for you, for all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Jesus told us, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then he said this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you continue in my word, you're truly my disciples. As we walk in obedience to God's word, we demonstrate that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. As we walk in obedience to God's word, we'll know his truth. And as we walk in obedience to God's word, not only will we know his truth, but his truth will set us free. God's truth matters. Amen? Say that with me. God's truth matters. God's truth frees us to live God's way. 
So we understand, we agree in the Lord to obey God's word as we follow Jesus by faith. So as we follow Jesus by faith, we're agreeing in the Lord to follow Jesus by faith. We're agreeing in the Lord to obey God's word, not to do anything out of selfish ambition, not to do anything out of vain conceit, but to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. We agree to obey the word, that we're to rejoice because God is working in us, to work according to his good purpose for us. We agree to obey the word, that we're to do everything without complaining, arguing, or grumbling because God is working in us. We agree to obey the word and to consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. We agree to obey the word together as we forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead so that we can press on toward the calling which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. We agree in the Lord to obey God's word because we know and understand that God will meet all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We agree in the Lord to obey the word of God because we can rejoice that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This world's not our home. We're passing through. And so we're able to agree in the Lord. You see what was going on with these, these ladies were not following Jesus by faith and they were not obeying the word of God. Therefore, they weren't agreeing in the Lord. As brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, with God's word as our guide, we must discuss our differences in love with gentleness and respect. We must listen to one another so that we can learn from one another. We must resolve our differences in love according to the truth of God's word. And then we must love one another to live in peace with one another as we continue to hold out the good news of the gospel message to those God places around us. This is what Paul was encouraging these ladies to do, the believers in the church of Philippi to do. It wasn't happening because they weren't agreeing in the Lord. And then we also know agreeing in the Lord happens as we depend on Jesus. We live the Christian life in his power, not ours. We agree in the Lord, in the Lord's power, not ours. We live in peace with one another in the Lord's power, not ours. As Jesus reminded us in John 15 and verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Nothing still means nothing. We can do nothing of spiritual spiritual significance for Jesus apart from dependence on Jesus. And so we understand and realize as Paul is sharing here in this passage, God's path to peace begins. It starts with agreeing in the Lord. It begins by thinking the same way God thinks about us, about our lives, and about our relationships. It begins by having the same mind as Christ, which has been revealed to us in this word. And certainly as we look at this passage, as we continue to look at this passage over the coming weeks, we understand and realize as we agree in the Lord, as we think the same way God thinks, as we take on the same mind as Christ Jesus, then what does it mean? It means in the conflict, seek forgiveness, show forgiveness, live in peace with one another, and love one another like Jesus. That's what Paul's going to share with these ladies. Ultimately, in the conflict, 
Seek forgiveness. Show forgiveness. Live in peace. Love one another. Paul said these, these ladies knew better. The believers there in the church of Philippi knew better. And we also know better than to allow ourselves to get drawn into unresolved conflict in our relationships with the brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. As Paul reminded us in Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore, we've been, since we've been declared righteous by faith, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is, we should be so blessed and so humbled by the peace that we have with God and Christ Jesus that we can't help ourselves but to live in that same peace with one another, to do all we can, as far as it depends on us, to live in peace with one another. That's why Paul said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We're family in Jesus. Therefore, we're to agree in the Lord with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Agreeing in the Lord pleases God. Agreeing in the Lord blesses us. Agreeing in the Lord together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus allows us to be able to point people to Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. And no one, which means no one, comes to the Father except through faith in His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of response. I want to encourage you this morning to respond in obedience to the Lord as He is continuing to speak to your heart, to your mind. Maybe what God is doing is He is speaking to you about an area of, of conflict that, that exists in a relationship that you have. And what God's desire for you is to, to move forward in agreeing in the Lord, to move forward in resolving that conflict His way. Maybe God's speaking to you about being a peacemaker for others who you know are in conflict. Maybe in your own family, maybe as friends that you have, they're living in conflict and you know it. And what God's speaking to you is, I, I want you to go and to be my minister of peace to encourage these other believers to agree in the Lord together, to resolve their conflict God's way. The altar is open as it always is to come and kneel and do business with the Father. Our pastors will be here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. If you've got a need, a care, a concern, they'd love to pray over you. We also want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to receive God's gift of salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. If you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, then why not today, why not right now, whether you're streaming with us online or here in person, as we've shared the good news of the gospel this morning very clearly, that Jesus lived a perfect life, he died a perfect death in our place, paying the price for our sin on the cross of Calvary. He was buried in the tomb and on the third day he rose again victorious over sin and death for you and me. We receive that gift of salvation 
So we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. Just simply understanding and realizing that we're sinners. Our sin separates us from God. That we need a Savior, that Jesus is our Savior. He took our place, paid our price on the cross. He's alive today and wants a relationship with us. Therefore, we repent of our sins, confess them to God, and we just simply receive Jesus into our life to be our Savior and Lord. What a great decision. The greatest decision you can make in life. Why not make it today, right now? Let's stand and let's respond to the obedience of the Lord.